0: Hey good morning, everybody. So glad you guys are all here. It was just fun to look around the room and and uh, see everybody back from summer break a little bit as fall gets started. you know as as uh, this time of year, as we kind of you know think about our lives as school gets started and sports get started and all sorts of things get started it 's a good time to reevaluate and think about why do we do what we do. And so I want to turn uh, your attention to the front of your bulletin, if you have that, um, please, where it says, welcome to Cedar Home Baptist Church. And then it says, why our church exists? Why do we exist? Why are we here? Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship, community, community service and multiplication and in the next few weeks I want to take just a brief moment and talk about each one of those things Um, I'll talk a little bit about worship for a second we exist to make disciples um, through gospel-centered worship obviously we we sing songs and that's one way that we worship but really worship is is we can worship God in everything that we do Um, seeking to bring glory and honor to Christ by obeying his commands loving him with our hearts whatever we're doing um, at home or in our communities. And, and specifically, I was just thinking, you know, Art, we want to, I want to help you. <laughs> and I wanna help you, and I wanna, as, as elders, we, we want to build up our church. And I was thinking, what does that look like here at, in the beginning of September? And I wanna just give you three practical ideas of ways that you can grow in your worship, your relationship with the Lord. This fall, and the first one is this: I would uh, I encourage you to to the best of your ability establish some sort of routine daily, if you can, in which you are communing with God, reading His Word, and talking to God, praying to God. And the great thing about the gospel is is in it we know that God does not look down on us when we don't do it for a day or a week or something like that and so it's it's not that but it's about you know we're, we're putting habits in our lives right well I, I want to encourage you to get into God's word now if you read a devotional praise God but this is where I would want to push you make sure that the devotional you're reading is saturated with scripture because sometimes we hear like five paragraphs of people's thoughts and then one verse and that's great, those are great, and I encourage us to do all sorts of edifying reading, but what we really need even more than that is to, be, to hear from the maker, <laughs> hear from Jesus in his, in his word. And so, uh, so briefly, what does this look like? It can look a lot of different ways. I, w- I would say, um, <laughs> honestly, a lot of your Bibles have Bible reading plans in the back if you want an idea of how to do that. If you wanna read, like maybe you've never read through the New Testament, if you just Google 90 day new testament reading plan it'll show you how it'll just divide the readings up so you can read through the whole uh, new testament in 90 days or maybe read the new testament in a year or read the old testament in a year but I would encourage you to do that and this is and this is I think the big thing I would I would I would I would point to is we don't want to read the bible just to read the bible it is it is it is God's word by which we are sanctified it is God's word by which we hear him yet it is the tool through which we know him. That's what we want to do. We want to know God. And so, um, if your Bible reading isn't leading you to see the glory of Christ and your need for God, then it's really not serving its purpose. And so, And I'm preaching to myself here because I'm doing a chronological study where I'm reading through, we're in Ezekiel right now, and I'm trying to, okay, God's angry a lot here um, at the sin of the people. And so he he has been for the past 21 days here in my reading, okay? And so, but it's amazing how God, he appointed that for me in my life at this time, and he speaks through it to me. And so I just encourage you that, I I guess I, I really, I think that's really important just want you to know that. It's like, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be in his word. Second thing I would say this, being in weekly Christian fellowship, um, whether that's through one of our community groups, which I would love everybody to be in, but I know that doesn't, that's just not reality for everybody. Um, and those are in the bulletin, you can read about that. Um, and we would love to start more community groups. My heart is, my desire is this, I want there to, everyone to be in a community group who wants to be in a community group. And so, um, but uh, or if you're participating in in the women's Bible study or a Bible study at your work or something, just be in fellowship with other Christians. It's very important. And then the third thing is keep coming here on Sunday mornings um, as we proclaim the word, as we fellowship a little bit together, as we worship God through our giving and and through uh, just our fellowship. Uh, Keep coming. Um, so those are three things I was thinking about that I think practical steps uh, that you can grow in your walk with the Lord. And if this is new to you, like reading the Bible, if it's scary or whatever, please talk to me, or one of our elders or Chris Meyer in the back who's doing announcements, or um, <clears throat> we, we, we all man, we, I'm just so thankful God meets us where we're at. And we all start someplace, and, and uh, God is always there with open arms to welcome us back. And so um, I just want to encourage you with that, and I pray that our church, honestly, one of the, one of the distinguishing characteristics of our church would be a, 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 a love for God's Word, and a saturation for God's Word, and a dependency in God's Word, because ultimately we're depending on the author of that Word, who is God. So um, so that's, that's what I'll say about that. Now, if you are new here with us, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. And during this part of the service uh, is when we normally explore a Bible passage together. And that's what we're going to do today. We do this because Jesus told us that it is through his word that we're sanctified, through his word that we're made more holy and, uh, and, and that we learn to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so lately, we've been working our way through a book of the Bible, a great book called Acts, A-C-T-S. And this book of Acts describes what happened to all of Jesus' followers after Jesus died and rose again and then ascended into heaven. And and this book was written by a physician in the first century named Luke who uh, was tasked with writing a historical account of how God worked in miraculous ways through many people, to spread the gospel of Jesus throughout the Roman Empire shortly after Jesus' death. And, and as we read this book, as we've been reading it, we see that one of the most prominent characters in this book uh, is a man named Paul. And Paul was not one of the 12 disciples. He was rather, uh, had, he had been an enemy of Jesus and of the Christians. And he had arrested and taken to court and put to death many, many Christians. Uh, but his life totally changed when he was confronted by the resurrected Jesus one day on his way, as Paul was on his way to arrest more Christians. And Paul became a believer in Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus. And Jesus told Paul to go throughout the Roman Empire, tell all of the Jews, which Paul was, and the non-Jews, the Gentiles, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus offers forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who turn from sin and trust in him. And that's the exact same message God has for us today. That gospel message hasn't changed. Turn to God, trust in him, put your faith in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Well, after Paul had taken three long voyages through, throughout the Roman Empire around the Mediterranean, He was preaching the gospel everywhere he went. Many people believed his message and trusted in Jesus and began to follow Jesus. And at the same time, many people rejected his message. They rejected Jesus. And many people actually were very hostile towards Paul and the gospel, and they wanted to see Paul dead. And this is is why so many of Paul's friends begged him, don't go to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul because a lot of your enemies are going to be there, and they could kill you. And Paul was well aware of this. He knew that he might be arrested. He might be hurt in Jerusalem. But in his mind, because to live is Christ, and to die is gain, because then he'll be with Christ, it was more important for him to obey the Lord and to go to Jerusalem than to preserve his life and to stay safe. And so... He had gathered a large financial offering among the Gentile churches, the non-Jewish Christian churches, to deliver to the church in Jerusalem, which was uh, no, no, noteworthy. It was noted for its, its poverty, um, its widows, its orphans. That's where, I, when you read the book of James, you read about true religion is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. James was very in touch with poverty and so Paul came with this offering and it was really cool he had the like there were these seven other men who represented the different churches in the Roman Empire who were traveling with him to come as a, just a sign of solidarity to to present this offering to the church in Jerusalem and just say hey we love you we know we're Gentiles and you're Jews we love you though and and this is for you and so <clears throat> Paul is going to go to Jerusalem against the wishes of many people, and uh, we're going to see what happens when he gets there. Before we do that, let's ask the Lord to continue to help us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time today. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to move powerfully among us now. Use this passage to to show us you, uh, to show us the goodness of the good news of Jesus to shape us into your image, God, that we might be more joyful and more in touch with what true life is according to you. Help us to worship you now just to be thankful uh, for your salvation. Thank you for meeting us right where we're at today and, and nourish us with what we need. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 21. 17 to 25 is what I'm going to read. <clears throat> when, so remember, this is Luke writing, because Luke was with Paul. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present, After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law, and they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs." What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he, well, we'll stop there. Stop there for now. So in verses 17 to 20, Luke tells us how Paul was initially welcomed. It says that... uh, he was welcomed well, he was received well, was re- this offering was received gladly. And then it says, the next day, Paul and his companions met with the church leaders, with James and the elders of the church. So James was Jesus' half-brother, remember? And he was essentially the lead pastor of the, of the Jerusalem church who co-led the church with other elders. So again, we see here another example of how elder-led congregational churches was the model used among the first churches. Uh, and that is why we organize our church here at Cedar Home the same way. Paul greeted each one of these elders, and then he began to tell them about all the amazing things God had done in his ministry to the Gentiles, because he hadn't seen these guys in a long time. And, and when the elders heard about how the gospel was spreading among the Gentiles, verse 20 says that they glorified God, they worshiped God, they were thankful for God. And what he was doing. But then look at this. It turns real fast. It didn't take long for them to share with Paul some bad news. Something that had been on their minds probably while Paul had been talking about all the things God had done among the Gentiles. And essentially they tell Paul this. Paul, we, we praise God for, for what uh, he's doing among the Gentiles. But remember where you're at now. You're not among the Gentiles anymore. You're here in Jerusalem. You're among the Jewish Christians. And we've got to tell you, you don't have a good reputation among the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, word on the street is that you're telling all the Jews throughout the Roman Empire to abandon God's law and to abandon the Jewish culture and our traditions. So what are we going to do about this, Paul? Because they're going to hear that you're here and that they're not going to like it. The Christians are not going to be happy that you're here. And he says, here's our suggestion. Show the Jewish Christians here that you haven't abandoned God's law in the Jews. And we got four men here who are undergoing vows. So just join them, purify yourself with them, pay for their expense of shaving their head. Uh, and, and when all the Christians, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem see that, they're gonna see with their own eyes that you have not forsaken the law of Moses. Now, obviously, they say we don't expect the Gentiles to observe the Old Testament traditions because Judaism is not their background. Uh, We had decided at the Jerusalem Council for the sake of unity between the Jew and Gentile believers uh, to ask the Gentiles to abstain from these four things, from food, sacrifice to idols, uh, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. So what do you think, Paul? Will you take this Jewish vow with these men. Now, in order to understand what's going on here, we have to understand the historical context a little bit. So I want to try to paint a picture briefly for you of that. Okay, first, most of the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem here at this time had been alive during a very specific window of human history. They had been alive before Jesus' ministry, during his ministry and after his ministry. So this is this is a unique time, not everybody, but a lot of them had been. And and these Jews who had grown up in Jerusalem had, had grown up following the law of Moses as full-fledged Jews. And these weren't even diaspora Jews who were exiled throughout the Roman Empire. These were Jerusalem Jews. <laughs> these were temple Jews. Okay? The temple. Jerusalem is where the temple was. So the temple, the law of Moses, the Jewish traditions, this was their religion, but it wasn't merely their religion. These things were a core part of their ethnicity, their culture. And that's different than most of us in this room, unless you come from a Jewish background. Because the tradition of most of our ethnicities, whatever those may be in here, whether you know Irish, Hispanic, Asian, Scandinavian, Middle Eastern, whatever, most of our ethnic histories are not deeply intertwined with the traditions of ancient Judaism. And so first century Jewish Christians, and especially those living in Jerusalem, they were wrestling now with what it meant to to trust in Jesus and to follow him, but at the same time to retain their Jewish culture and to honor God through observing the law, which they were uh, the inheritors of. Now making it more complicated, was the fact that there was this new teaching now (laughs) among the Christians that the Jews were now united to the Gentiles through their shared faith in Jesus. And so the Jews had forever been told, don't talk to the Gentiles, don't associate with the Gentiles, do not eat with Gentiles, do not be friends with Gentiles, they're unclean, they're ungodly, they don't follow the law of Moses. And now the Jewish believers because of Jesus, are supposed to consider Gentile believers their family in Christ? are <laughs> supposed to eat with them? The people they were told their whole life, don't eat with them, and now we're supposed to just eat with them. And then to add another layer of complexity to this, there was major political upheaval between the Romans, the Gentiles, and the Jews at this time. And there was a very noticeable rise in Jerusalem at this time of Jewish pride, Jewish nationalism, okay? And this made relationships between Jews who were occupied by the Roman Gentiles very tense. And so there were Jewish uprisings popping up against the Roman Empire. There were more rumors of rebellion against the Roman Empire going around, and this kind of kept everybody on their toes, and it, it was just kind of a tense feeling Uh, between Gentiles and Jews in Jerusalem. And so all these things kind of give us an idea here of why the the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem didn't like Paul, who was allegedly teaching Jews, forsake Judaism, forsake God's law. So what's really important then is this, to get to the bottom of what was Paul actually teaching. That really matters here, to understand this passage. And for us, too, um, what exactly... Was Paul teaching the Jewish and Gentile Christians about their relationship to the law of Moses and how to live that out as Christians? And, and when we look at Paul's letters that he wrote and when we look at what he's already taught and done in the book of Acts so far, um, we can identify kind of four tenets of Paul's preaching on this doctrine or teaching. So I'm gonna talk about those. So first... Paul taught that anyone from any people group can be saved from sin. And they can be saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Okay, hear that again. Paul taught that anybody, any individual from any people group on earth can be saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So let's look at that one statement at a time. According to Hebrews 12, 2, Salvation by God's grace alone means that God is the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith. So Hebrews 12, two says. So we cannot do anything to force God to save us from sin and death. We cannot do anything to make God feel love and compassion for us. We cannot do anything to make ourselves pleasing and acceptable to a holy God. Uh, This is very clear throughout the Old Testament. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to read the Old Testament. It shows very clearly that our most righteous works are but filthy rags in the sight of God whose holiness and righteousness is infinitely pristine and breathtaking and eclipses all indicators of righteousness that we can even begin to fathom. And what this means then is that salvation that God offers must be something God offers us out of his why out of his mercy and compassion and love salvation from sin is a gift from God that can only be received by us so so how do you receive God's salvation through faith alone by believing that Jesus is God, by believing that he died for your sins and that he rose in glory and that he's coming again. And more than just believing these things are true is trusting in Christ in his finished work for your personal salvation. See, the difference between believing Jesus to be God and trusting Jesus to be your savior is the difference between looking at a chair and believing that that is a chair versus sitting on that chair and trusting that chair to hold you. Likewise, salvation by faith alone means fully depending on Jesus, trusting on Jesus, putting the full weight of your soul on Jesus and his finished work for you. And who can be saved by God? Through the Holy Spirit, Paul taught over and over again that God's salvation is available to any person of any people group on earth. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, what family you were raised in, what your ethnicity is, uh, where you live, or how much money you were in- inherited or have. The good news of salvation of Jesus Christ is for all people from all people groups on the earth. And what this means then is this, as people from all people groups then come together <laughs> They they believe the gospel. They're joined into God's family. They're all equal in God's sight. It means there is no caste system in Christianity, which is very different than many religions and cultures. There are not different levels of acceptance in God's eyes. That's a critical difference that the gospel teaches Here's what Paul writes in Galatians 3, 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You hear that? Genesis 12 was a big deal when God made that promise with Abram. That's from whom the, all the Jews would come. And Paul says here now, listen, if you're in Christ, you're an heir of Abram. <laughs> you're saved. You're one, of the, you're one of God's chosen people. And then specifically addressing this Christian unity, the need for that between Jews and Gentiles, these people from two different people groups. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 11 to 17, therefore remember that at one time, you, he's writing to the Gentiles, you Gentiles in the flesh, Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision or the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's talking to the Gentiles here. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near so one of the reasons Christ died one of the reasons he died was to create one new people group one new man one new family called the church made up of people from all different people groups of the earth and what makes them a family is their shared Savior Jesus, their shared indwelling Holy Spirit, their shared Father, God the Father. And so if this is our spiritual reality, which Jesus says it is, then it also must shape how Christians share life together on earth and view people There must be no racial, ethnic, political, or economic walls that divide Christians. These these are human distinctions that separated us before we trusted in Christ, and they must no longer be a grounds of hostility between us. And since God has uh, already united us to Christ and to one another through faith, Our task as Christians now is to live out that love here on planet earth. You think about what that, I mean, that is pretty amazing. If that lives, manifests itself in local churches and lives itself out as an example to communities and in our nation right now where there's a lot of tension on a lot of different things here. If the church leads the way on this, what an example of of the gospel, what a God-glorifying picture as we show there's redemption for all people in Jesus Christ. Wow. And so Paul clearly taught that anyone from any people group can be saved from sin by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Now, the second teaching point then that I wanna talk about is that Gentile, Paul said this, Gentiles do not need to become Jewish in order for Jesus to save them. Je- Gentiles do not need to become Jewish in order for G- uh, Jesus to save them. Well, <clears throat> this point was, 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 uh, was clarified and crystallized at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Remember, there was this group of self-proclaimed Christians who were really gaining a lot of, of weight and they were telling Gentiles that if you want Jesus to save you from your sin, that you must, you must be become um, circumcised like the Jews. And so the apostles and the Jerusalem elders, they saw this problem here. Now, they, they were all Jewish. And so, but they come together and, and they concluded, this teaching is wrong because it clearly opposes the message of God's grace in salvation. If there's nothing that a man can do to earn God's acceptance, then that includes circumcision. And that was a big deal for these Jewish men. they, They wrote a letter together. They sent this out to the churches. They declared, listen, Jews and Gentiles are saved both the same way, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, they said this, for the sake of unity... We're asking the Gentile Christians to refrain from these certain activities in order to maintain uh, peace between you and so that you can fellowship together. So Paul's second teaching point was this, okay? Gentiles do not need to become Jewish in order to be saved by Jesus. The third teaching point of Paul was this. Jewish Christians may choose to observe the law of Moses with the understanding that observing the law can't save them. Jewish Christians may choose to observe the law of Moses with the understanding that it can't save them. They, they might choose to follow the Old Testament law for, maybe for cultural reasons, that's your culture, or, or it's fun to celebrate. Like Sometimes we have uh, cedar dinners or celebrate the Passover to see how Jesus is our Passover lamb. We celebrate that Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. But he writes this in Romans fourteen five 5-6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So he's talking about the Jewish festival days, right? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So, so Paul teaches here that it's fine for a Jewish Christian to observe a Jewish holiday as long as he or she does so knowing that it doesn't save him or her. It doesn't also, it doesn't make God love him or her more. It doesn't preserve his or her salvation. It doesn't make him or her spiritually superior to other Christians who are less holy because they don't observe that Jewish holiday. And so Paul's third teaching here is that Jewish Christians may choose to observe the law of Moses with the understanding that observing the law can't save them. So we can see then that that Paul, just with these three points, was not guilty of what many Jewish Christians in Jerusalem thought he was guilty of. Paul had not forsaken the Jewish law and the traditions. Yes, Paul had condemned and really uh, passionately condemned THOSE TEACHERS WHO TAUGHT THAT GENTILES NEEDED TO BECOME CIRCUMCISED IN ORDER TO BE SAVED BY JESUS. BUT THAT WASN'T UNIQUE TO PAUL. THE REST OF THE APOSTLES TOO, INCLUDING JAMES AND THE JERUSALEM ELDERS, HAD ALSO CONDEMNED THOSE TEACHERS IN THAT TEACHING. IN TRUTH, PAUL HAD TAUGHT THAT OBSERVING THE JEWISH LAW WAS NOW OPTIONAL FOR JEWISH CHRISTIANS BECAUSE GOD SAVES PEOPLE BY HIS GRACE through faith in Jesus and not by their religious works of the law. He had not forsaken Judaism. Paul had not forsaken Judaism. Think about this. He himself had already celebrated the Passover. He had already performed Jewish vows after becoming a Christian. He was a Jew. And so the rumors about Paul that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem had believed were wrong. They were just wrong. They were rumors. Nevertheless, in today's passage, Paul had to decide how to proceed now in Jerusalem because there's kind of a lot at stake. Should he follow James's instruction and be purified at the temple with these men? Or think about this, if he did that, would the Gentile believers think that he no longer believes salvation is by grace alone through faith alone? Or should he just push back against James and the elders and defend himself? Or should he he say, listen, let's get all the Christians in Jerusalem together, let me talk to them, and let me explain my position on this more clearly. Well, let's read what he did. Verse 26, Acts 21, verse 26. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Now, there are a number of commentators who read this and say, Paul sold out. He was a hypocrite. He messed up in this case. He he, he, He gave in to peer pressure, and he did what he shouldn't have done. However, that argument does not follow the trajectory of Paul's thinking. If you read the New Testament epistles, because Paul's faith was in Jesus alone for his salvation, Paul felt free to participate in this Jewish purification ritual at the temple, okay? He knew that that added nothing to saving him. But given the fact that him doing this could be really misinterpreted and, and used against him, why did he decide to do it? Well, it brings us to Paul's fourth and final teaching point on Christians and God's law, which is this. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification among God's people. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification among God's people. And there are two key passages where he writes this. Romans uh, 14, 13 and 19, he says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, I am persuade, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is an unclean in itself, But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual a building. And then another famous passage in 1 Corinthians nine nineteen to twenty three, where Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul says here that he knows he doesn't have to follow the Old Testament law, because salvation in Jesus is available by God's grace through faith. Yet at the same time, he wants to put an end to the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul says that he became as one under the law in order to win the Jews. Paul became as one under the law in order to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding among God's people. And when you reflect on what Paul must have been going through in this situation when he met with these elders, it says a lot about Paul the kind of leader he was and what his motives were, he could, I mean, really, he could have pridefully, he could have really gotten ticked right then and rebuked James and the elders and told them that he didn't need to do anything to prove himself to the Jews. I mean, think about this. He had just brought a giant offering. He had traveled so far, endured so much hardship to bring an offering to the Christian Jews in Jerusalem in order to win them over and in order to demonstrate unity with them and to show them compassion. Wasn't that enough? He could have said to the elders, you guys, you know what? You can have the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. They treat me like crud. (laughs) Most of the conversations I've had have been, uh, most of the conversions I've seen have been among the Gentiles anyway. Keep the Jews. I'll just keep preaching the, the gospel to the Gentiles, where God's actually saving people. He could have said that, but he doesn't respond that way. He takes the posture of a servant. He humbly submits to his elders here, even though he was a co-elder. He obeys James and the other Jerusalem elders. He puts himself under the law in order to maintain unity between the Jews and the Gentile Christians. Now what a godly example for us here. Choosing humility and grace in the face of being gossiped about and wrongly understood and opposed. Choosing humility and grace. Instead of choosing to argue and to divide, Paul chose to serve others in order to build up unity in the body of Christ as he kept down this wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentile Christians. Wow, I may mean, we consider this in our own relationships with other Christians, as an example. I mean, and Paul's just following Jesus's example, right? I may mean, we we follow this example, and by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, in our own church and in our community, and with other Christians around the world. So let's review the four teaching points here that Paul taught in actuality about Christians and their relationship to the Old Testament law. First, anyone from any people group could be saved from sin by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and we praise God for that. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, because most of us in here are Gentiles. (laughs) That's the truth. Second, (laughs) Gentiles or non-Jews do not need to become Jewish in order to be saved by Jesus. Third, Christians, and I wish I could go into this more, but I would just say that point right there, we don't need to become Jewish in order to be saved by Jesus, is a fascinating discussion that the church and Christians around the world are having as we see people from all different people groups come to Christ. What are those parts of culture which can be retained for a Christian? And what are those parts that need to be rejected in order to follow Jesus? On the leading edge of the mission fields, this is a very important question. It's unique though to this time and period because this is specifically about Judaism. Third, Christians may choose to observe the law of Moses with the understanding that observing the law can't save them. Fourth, Christians let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification among God's people. So Paul's teaching points, they were not only critical for the Christians to hear in Paul's day. These points are critical for those of us uh, who follow Jesus today. You and I, in summary, are guilty of disobeying God's law, period. We need him to rescue us from his wrath lest we suffer it ourselves for eternity after this life. God in his grace and mercy has laid down his own life for us in the life of his own son Jesus Christ who bore God's wrath toward our sin when he was hung on the cross. All who trust in Jesus, every person who trusts in Jesus and has been born again, purified from sin and is adopted into God's family. There's no other way. There's no other eternal life. There's no other hope for us than God himself Jesus Christ and the gospel message is the, the declaration is the same turn from sin turn to Jesus and he will save you and that is not a message you only hear once to get into the kingdom that is our daily message of repentance that we preach every day to ourselves lord help me to this is one of the reasons why we do quiet, why we read the bible and spend time in the word lord help me to turn again today Help me at the start of my day to reorient myself to you as I turn to you as my savior, you as the one who defines my identity, and you as the one I rest on and rest in. And then God's offer of salvation is is open to all people from all people groups on earth. And as he saves us and adopts us into His spiritual family from our various backgrounds, Let us follow Christ's example and be servants to one another. Let us pursue in our Christian relationships first what makes for peace and for mutual edification. By God's power, let us not insist on our own way, but consider one another more significant than ourselves, as Paul writes in Philippians 2. And we thank God that this is actually possible now. Do you get that? We can do this now. Because Jesus died and because he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, who is the one who gives us the desire to do this and the ability to do this for the glory of his name. Would you please stand up, you guys? So thankful you guys are here. I wanna close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time we've had today to be in your word, to be in fellowship, to worship your name. Thank you, God, for meeting us where we're at because, man, I think each one of us, as we come here, we know, oh boy, I don't deserve this gospel, you know. (laughs) And that's why it's good news, God, because it's not about us deserving it, but about you pouring it out because of your grace and mercy on us. You're so loving. Help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us in Christ. God, for those who don't know you, I just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, you would save them, that they would trust in you, God, and not in themselves, because, boy, we've all looked to other saviors. We've all made mistakes, and even as Christians, we make mistakes, God. Help us to keep our eyes on you, God. You're the author of our faith, the finisher of our faith. Even the reason you want glory for yourself is wrapped up in our joy, Jesus, that we might be most joyful in celebrating the one who deserves the most glory, which is you, Jesus. We thank you for this, this, uh, this light, <coughs> this gospel, this message, this living Holy Spirit, the living Savior in heaven, God the Father, in our lives in the midst of this dark earth that we live in, God. This is not our home. We're here for a little while. Please help us, Lord, to love one another well here in the church and to love our neighbors well too. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Love you and uh, hope you have a great week.